Here's a sample of a free podcast from the Post Wrestling Cafe. $6 gets you through the door at postwrestlingcafe.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to Post Wrestling's coverage of Night 8 of the G1 Climax, the second night of a three-night spell for the tournament in Tokyo, and the second of two consecutive shows at the venerated Korakuen Hall. My name is Bruce Lord, and my co-host, well, he might walk alone for miles through a pit of danger when it comes to karaoke, but when it comes to the G1, we're teaming up to walk together through a slew of C and D block action. It's Post Wrestling's MMA expert, Eric Marcotte. Eric, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Uh, glad to be back on these these G1 shows and, and the first show we've recorded together, Bruce. I know, I know. I was sort of thinking, you know, talking a little bit to WH about this and John a little bit about this, that uh, the Forbidden Poor and whatnot uh, was kind of our first chance to actually meet, and, meet up and hang out in person. I feel like we're sort of, you know, we're two people who are, I think, probably share a lot of similar opinions about New Japan and kind of what we like in the sort of wrestling that New Japan brings. But we've sort of always been like, you know, a lot of like liking of each other's comments on the forum and stuff like that, but not an actual uh, formal opportunity to really discuss uh, the G1 or New Japan in general. So I'm really thrilled uh, to be able to get to do that with you here today. Um, on your previous um, one of these reviews that you were doing with WH, uh, you were sort of talking a little bit about kind of the trade-offs of this format, you know, 32 men, but the 20 minutes. So, okay, fine, more variety, more freshness, but maybe a bit of a trade-off in terms of match quality. You mentioned uh, Shingo and Hanare, you're being your favorite match of the tournament up until this point, or that point, rather. Any further thoughts about the tournament in general, the new format, the quality of wrestling that we're getting in this year's G1? Uh, no, my thoughts pretty much hold true to, to this point. I, I feel as though with, you know, eight matches a card as opposed to five as well, you are cramming more onto each show. And even aside from looking at the fact that we have more competitors in it each year, a, a lot of our stars, the guys who are the stars of those uh, exciting G1s for years, they're getting older too. Hiroshi mm -hmm. Tanahashi is getting older. Tetsuya Knight does getting older. Hiroki Goto is getting older. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii is getting older, even though... Uh, well, I mean, he's still holding it down as we'll get into <laughs> later. But it there this is definitely a transitional period of sorts for New Japan. And as I said with WH, you're kind of sacrificing a bit of that overall quality for the greater good of the product in the long term, I think. Yeah, yeah. And John and Wei were sort of talking about that, I believe, uh, on their review of yesterday's show as well, sort of talking about how a lack of response, you know, to some of these figures 
is going to be sort of the price you pay in the short to medium term. And we can sort of debate as to whether or not that is the sort of thing that Japan or New Japan should be doing when kind of around the uh, across the country, right? You know, live houses in Japan are down right now. So, okay, fine. Maybe this is a good time to sort of shuffle the deck and, you know, have an experiment like the Sonata title reign. Uh, or is it, you know, no, 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 you got to batten down the hatches and, and really shore up your draws and make sure that you're putting uh, your established draws at the top of the card. Obviously, uh, that's kind of a philosophical or business question that New Japan has come down on one side of. I, not not to go off on a whole other tangent about uh, a wrestler who's not even on this card, but the Sonata title reign, I think, is something that we are sort of seeing undergo a bit of a trial by fire in this tournament as well, in terms of whether or not he is viewed as being somebody who's capable of, you know, main eventing uh, a lot of these cards where there are theoretically more established names further down the card and how do people respond to him as a main eventer. So lots of interesting questions uh, on board in this year's G1. So uh, just a reminder, I know that it can be, you know, get a bit confusing for all of our listeners about the various rating systems that uh, all of your various reviewers are using. Like, look, at the end of the day, this just all of these things do come back to like a 5.5 star <laughs> scale here. Uh, but we like to gussy it up and dress it up uh, a little bit. I, of course, am using my scotch based rating system. Uh, Eric, in his previous show with uh, with WH, debuted his Okada scale uh, going all the way from, you know, epic two-year uh, title reign Okada at the five-star end, all the way down to like a one-star money clip Okada, or God forbid, just a complete dud Okato uh, level there. Um, it occurs to me, Eric, that it's a bit of a damn shame that you and Karen are not actually being paired up on any of these shows, because if they were, if you were to be on it together, we could have the Okada ice cream scale happening there and as folks may remember and as i'm pulling up here uh, for those of you watching on twitter years back there was a kazuchika okada as ice cream uh twitter account which would link up the various looks and satorial styles of the rainmaker with various flavors of ice cream so we are getting very very abstract here off the top i promise that there is actual wrestling uh to discuss on this card here uh but it just occurred to me that you know uh all of our various uh rating systems have kind of brought us into these very very weird corners and interactions yeah, we all have these like out there rating systems, but they all come back to the exact same five point scale that yep. was uh, that the coffee scale was used was initially used <laughs> to take a break from. It's all the same. It all comes back to the same thing. But oh, I hope it's not too hard to follow along with. I mean, we'll, we'll, I think we can kind of break it down. And certainly the recommendations, the overall recommendations that we will be giving at the end of this show, uh, I think should spell things out for folks who are looking to sample uh, just a handful of G1 shows. We're kind of right in the thick of it right now, you know, like a three day run like this. This is exactly the sort of time when it's very easy. You know, if you've got family obligations or a lot of work that you're bringing home with you or whatever, it's very easy to start falling behind uh, in the G1. Uh, as of yet, I'm still completely up to date. And also with all of the reviews, but it's it's close it's 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 keeping keeping all of my attention uh to, to stay up with it at this point so our card from korakuen begins with a c block match between evil and hanare evil sits at two wins and one loss hanare at one win and two losses heading into this match uh as we all might presume or expect uh dick togo jumps hanare from behind with a chair well before the bell uh evil then smashes hanare into the timekeeper's table and wraps the mic cable around hanare's neck 
so that his bellows can be heard throughout Korakuen. Of course, it's the G1, so we brawl into the ring. And I will say that the crowd actually does really get up and respond uh, to Hanare fighting back uh, and smashing Evil's head into the West signs, you know, the four cardinal signs that they have up there in Korakuen. The crowd is into this. So as much as I'm very, very quick to just throw House of Torture uh, under the bus and point out that it often is just uh, you know, a, a real dearth of heat that's actually being generated here. The crowd was into Hanare for this, so I, I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, back in the ring, Hanare is in control. He gets a Berserker Bomb for two, but some Dick Togo distraction lets Evil take Hanare on some uh, more brawling through the crowd. They get up into the stands where we can see that this is a pretty full crowd. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but this looks comparable to, I believe, the 1600 that they drew in Korakuen uh, yesterday. Hanare par- powers out of Togo's garrot wire spot and brings Evil back into the ring for a fallaway slam for two. Hanare-, Hanare powers through being tossed back first into an exposed uh, turnbuckle, but Evil gets a fi- fisherman buster for two after sending Hanare's injured neck into a padded buckle. That was the target for much of this match. Evil gets Darkness Falls for two. A Nagata-style Justice Knee and Rampage takedown sets up Hanare for Streets of Rage, but Evil escapes it. Hanare gets a headbutt and a PK for two. Evil claws at the eyes while Hanare is going for the Streets of Rage, and as a result, the ref is distracted. Hanare punches through the chair that Dick Togo is coming at him with in an actually pretty decent little, you know, interference spot. But, of course, we get the inevitable low blow and everything is evil to move evil to six points at just over 12 minutes while hanare stays at two points with his one win thoughts about a you know i think maybe a little bit above average at least a little bit better than the usual house of torture match here eric yeah i I definitely thought this was above the average of the or usual house of torture match i should say thanks largely due to a really hot crowd who got really behind hanare here um so I, I found the expected performers of the G1 to this point to be kind of who you would expect. I think Shingo has been the best, followed by maybe Okada and Osprey. Hinari has been up there. He may have mm. cracked my top five to this point, and I have never been that high on him before this tournament. But he is really delivering it every single night. And this was the first time I really saw the crowd just get behind him. And honestly, who's a better opponent for that than Evil, who mm. will never have a crowd get behind him? So... I was definitely a bit higher on this match than any of Evil's other matches to this point in the G1. On my uh, almighty Okada scale, I went (laughs) as far as to give this a Rainmaker, which is to say an average level match, (laughs) and and to give an Evil match uh, an average, a solid recommendation. That is like uh, the equivalent of a five-star classic for the man in 2023, (laughs) so uh, well done. We, t- we talk about the Okada scale here, but if we're talking about like grading on a curve and what the evil scale for that would be, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty high one as far as the evil goes. Um, I'm going like a very, very, like just shy of my three-star whiskey. I'm going like, you know, a, a two-star Akintosh with a good amount uh, of, you know, nuts and snacks and, and whatnot on the side, which again is about as high as I can ever really go, um, you know, for uh, for an evil match. And yeah, to the, the larger, more important point here about... You know, if we're looking at this tournament as a reintroduction or a showcasing of the new Hanare, I think that, you know, the fire that he showed throughout this work and kind of powering through all of the HOT interference, which he knew was coming, did endear him to the crowd. And there were a couple of actually enjoyable wrestling sequences uh, in this one. And obviously it was a you know good deal shorter than that main event uh, from a couple of days ago. So have to give some points for that. 
All right, we're moving over to the D block where Hiroki Goto stands at two wins and one loss. Uh, and his opponent, Alex Coughlin, still has the goose egg, zero wins and three losses, and is facing elimination in this match if he loses. Uh, Goto's ribs are heavily taped up after that match with Shane Haste, which kind of puzzled Karen and I uh, when we were reviewing it as to its very short length. But it seems to have come out that, yeah, it was actually in that match during a cannonball spot from Haste that Goto's ribs were injured. But thankfully, uh, nothing actually broken or fractured so his tournament does continue uh chris uh chris charlton and kevin kelly point out that there's some recent history with the war dogs of course taking the strong tag team titles but not the iwg tag team titles away from bishamon at those independence day shows as coglin jumps code goto as he's taking his robe off and knocks him around the guardrails to begin this match uh, Coglin keeps working Goto's midsections with stretches and body blows. The true, the two trade strikes as Goto begins to build a bit of steam with a backdrop suplex, but he's too wounded to follow up in a timely fashion. Coglin, Coglin hits a very nasty palm strike, escapes a GTR attempt, and strikes a blow to the wounded gut of Goto, and follows that up with a nice delayed jackhammer and right into the pin to pin Goto at six minutes and twenty-three seconds and stave off elimination at least for today with his first two points. Thought about the former android now war dog getting on the board and staying in the tournament um so much like goto's last match it's obvious that they're working with some serious limitations in terms of that rib injury and this was kind of a bit of a oh it was only six minutes minutes but kind of a, an elongated squash match in which goto didn't really get much in a couple offensive hope spots towards the end but uh, it was just to get coglin on the board without doing much actual damage to goto so as the match itself, it didn't stand out to me at all. I, I gave it a red balloon Okada. It didn't quite meet the standards mm. of the G1, but at the same time, I don't really hold it against either of these guys either, considering the circumstances. Um, Coglin hasn't really stood out for me in this tournament so far. He is a very talented professional wrestler, and he is incredibly strong. We saw that on display in his match against Jeff Cobb, but not yeah. much since. So I'm I'm hoping to see a bit more from him as this one goes on. Uh, Goto is still capable of delivering some solid singles matches, but with this current injury, I'm I'm not sure we're gonna get it from him for the remainder of the tournament, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's Goto is one of those people where obviously we're not, you know, at like Naito level or anything like that. But you have to sort of think that, you know, time and tide wait for no man. And we are coming to that point at some, you know, some way down the line uh, with Goto. Um, I will say that, like, I did like that the very, you know, the pissed off, angry, unhinged war dog stuff thrown around the chairs and everything like that. I like that that was kept to just the first two minutes of this match, although it was such a short match that that sort of was yeah. the first, that was like the first third of it. 33% of the match. It was actually horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, Karen and I have talked about this, right? We've seen this before in lots of G ones where when someone is coming in with sort of a new character, a new presentation, uh, Gato really wants to make sure that that character gets across to the live crowds. Right. And again, you know, this is just the trade-off, right. Of new Japan still being a live house driven business. Right. And you know, it isn't necessarily the individual matches are not necessarily being structured so that, you know, chin-stroking anoraks like you and I who are watching everything are seeing, you know, complexity and variety. No, the main point is that every single person who might see 
uh, an Alex Coughlin match live in person during this G1 tour sees the sort of, you know, presentation of the war dogs that we are getting here. Um, you know, I like the fact that he basically just kept the pressure on Goto, you know, just keep targeting the midsection until you can get a killing strike, uh, you know, which he did. Uh, you know, it didn't waste any time. Like you said, it was an elongated short uh, squash and it didn't really take up more time than it needed to. So, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, again, kind of the same as the previous evil match going with a, a healthy sized pour of two star Akintoshin, uh with some extra snacks uh, sprinkled along the side. Um, I will also say that, you know, if nothing else, this does possibly set up another title match, a tag title match, you know, to, with Bishamon facing the War Dogs later on. So that's maybe something that we can look forward to possibly stateside. Uh, and that would not be the first of several uh, possible future title matches that this card would set up uh, as we head back to the C block with Mikey Nichols taking on Shingo. Nichols sits at one win and two losses going into this match. Also, Shingo at one win and two losses, somewhat surprisingly. So much like Nichols's last match with Tama Tonga, things were pretty even to begin this match with both men uh, hitting shoulder strikes and shoulder blocks, dodging bigger maneuvers. Nichols knocks Shingo around on the floor for a bit and announces to the camera that he's a dragon slayer. He holds Shingo up for a delayed vertical suplex for, I don't know, 15 seconds. It was a good long while there. Uh, Shingo ducks a sliding lariat and begins to get the crowd revved up, though, no, it's not time yet. A senton and a vertical suplex gets a two count, and now it is time exactly 10 minutes past seven on Wednesday night, as Chris Charlton points out. Nichols rallies with the superplex, and both men meet in the middle with headbutts and forearms, one of which opens Nichols up very much like uh, he was opened up in his controversial match with Hanare at the beginning of the tournament. Uh, a DVD and a sliding lariat gets Nichols a two count. Shingo gets a DVD of his own. Both men hit lariats and pop up after one counts. Lots of heavy strikes in the middle. They run the ropes, and Shingo crashes into Nichols in a... I don't know what we would call this, a kind of a messy but relatively impactful version of a Luthez press, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and Smothers, the TMDK man for the win at 9 minutes and 14 seconds. Another relatively short match to uh, move through the first three of them here, Eric. Okay, so this was actually the match I was most interested in talking about because it was on its way to being a very solid match. I liked what I saw for the vast majority of it. And then we do the headbutt spots, and Mikey Nichols uh, legitimately busts himself open again. And then the match kind of goes off the rails a bit. These guys are no longer on the same page from this point forward. And I, I rewatched these last like three or four minutes a couple times because I mm. wasn't sure exactly where some of these spots were going wrong. But like I think the final exchange, which like I said, I watched a couple of times to try to understand what was going on. And I think Shingo is going for a pumping bomber and Nichols, I don't know if he was totally there at that point. And he, he kind of got messed up and went for the wrong move and Shingo just tried to make the best of it. But um, I like, I, I want your thoughts because I, I'm not sure what went wrong here. And I'm worried that Mikey Nichols perhaps talked himself a bit loopy towards the end of this one. Well, they did. They did call the doctor in uh, after the pin here. The actual I, I can't remember his name. I apologize. Uh, but the doctor that the, the commentary desk has pointed out several times uh, in the tournament thus far, they did call him in. But then he he seemed to immediately be like, oh, yeah, it's all fine. It's, it's all good. Although then again, this is New Japan, yeah. not WWE or AEW. So who knows what you know? a doctor is saying? Oh, yeah, you're fine uh, in New Japan means in comparison to North American promotions and some of the discourse that's been happening there. I mean, I'm not aware, to be honest, of the degree to which New Japan itself or Japanese wrestling fandom or Japanese wrestling culture 
does or does not participate in the sort of questions or discussions that, you know, a lot of us uh, in North America were having after the Hanare and Nichols match and the question of like, you know, these, uh, you know, headbutt. I don't, it didn't look to me as though any of these headbutts were quite as like heavy duty as the ones in that Hanare match. But I mean, you know, it only really does take one, you know, shoot headbutt to, to possibly mess uh, someone up. Um, you know, in terms of the match itself, I did like it. I did like the intensity of it uh, for the time that they did go. Um, Nichols is someone who's never really moved the needle for me, but I like this very just kind of like solid, heavy hitting version of him that we are seeing in the G1. Uh you know, and of course, maybe that comes unfortunately with the oh yeah, in order to make an impression, you got to like leave some damage on yourself or somebody else. And we are now wading into the very kind of morally gray corners of what does and does not constitute an, uh, an exciting and hard hitting new Japan match here. Uh, but yeah, no, like, like you, the finish did sort of come out of nowhere. Again, I have no problem with like a, a, a sudden surprise finish, but yeah, when it was something that obviously seemed to end with two guys on a different page, that is a little bit concerning. Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, no, your pumping bomber theory makes as much sense as anything uh, as, as I could muster here with just these two guys crashing into each other and, and, and Shinko falling over top um, of, of, uh, of Nichols there. Um, full disclosure. I mean, you know, in terms of actual match rating, I, I did like this a good deal. Uh, it's certainly not going to, you know, crack my top 10 matches, uh, by the end, but the, I did think that this was a good match. Um, as it happens, this is going to be my last review uh, of these G1 shows as my partner and I are heading uh, down the West Coast. We're going to visit family down in the Bay Area. So I will be in San Francisco. And as folks may be aware, San Francisco is somewhat famous for having very, very generous free pours, you know, where they just kind of like they keep chatting at you as, as they're pouring the bottle and everything. So I'm giving this a pretty solid San Francisco free pour uh, of a three-star Highland Park 12, if that makes any sense at all uh, to our to our once again befuddled listeners so for me it fell just below that standard i, I did uh throw, give it a red balloon okada on the illustrious okada scale but this this is high quality red balloon okada mm-hmm. all right it didn't this isn't the bottom of the barrel red balloon okada this is red balloon okada versus tanahashi or something. yeah okay yeah, like yeah. It, it's good it just i i thought the last three minutes or so unfortunately threw this mm-hmm. one a bit under yeah definitely it's i mean you know, again, to your point uh, off the top there, Shingo is, I think, really bringing a lot of just, you know, quality night in, night out. Uh, personally, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the question of the Sonata title run and things like that, and are we willing to just sort of throw, you know, anything at the wall? At some point down the line, I would love to see Shingo get another run with the main belt again, this time with, you know, full crowds and not just clap crowds and everything like that. Because, uh, you know, he is somebody who, in addition to just delivering, you know, for, for nerds like us and everything. He is someone who's, I think, fire in his promo style and everything really whips up a more general New Japan domestic audience as well. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, again, you know, we were talking about the clock ticking on Goto. Shingo's probably got a few more years than Goto, but but maybe not too many more. Speaking of folks who may not have many years left <laughs> on them, we're moving over uh, to a match between Bebop High School tag partners, at least occasional tag partners, between the aging ace Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toro Yano. Tanahashi is sitting at one win and two losses. Yano, winless, zero wins and three losses, facing elimination as he heads into this match as well. 
Uh, so Yano goes for a sneak roll up just before the bell rings, uh, which Tana admonishes him for reminding, look, this is the G1. This is serious business. And, you know, G, you know, Yano apologizes, but almost immediately a roll of tape is ferreted out of his trunks. Uh, we get some standing switches and a couple of amateur takedowns from both men. Tanahashi gets a running forearm and a body slam to set up and miss the somersault sent on. And as Kelly and Charlton sort of highlights, he pauses for a second before going for the somersault sent on, which has the commentary wondering, okay, does he just not want to squish kind of a, a lovable frenemy in Toriano? Or is it because he just knows he cannot deliver this sort of aerial move as smoothly as before? Yano gets his first corner pad attack of the tournament in. And of course, through the transitive property of dragon screwing the pad, which Tana is holding onto, Tana takes the effects of the dragon screw as well. Uh, Tana is sent into an exposed turnbuckle, escapes a power bomb attempt and blocks a low blow. But we get a ref bump and Yano going after Tana with a chair. Tana punches the chair out of Yano's hand, hits a sling blade and makes his way to the top to successfully deliver a high fly flow and eliminate the sublime master thief from tournament contention at seven minutes and 45 seconds. Do you have any, I can't imagine that we have any thoughts about Yano's elimination, but maybe uh, we're maybe more thinking about uh, the, the continued question of Tanahashi's ability to hang at G1 levels, even in a Toriyano match here, Eric. Uh, yeah, as far as Yano's elimination, I know he was a strong contender for many to win the whole thing this year, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards. So I'm uh, sure he'll be back again next year with a bunch of new schemes. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't say too much. For Toriano, this was probably as much as the closest thing to a straight up wrestling match that you'll see out of him in this tournament. And uh, as far as Tanahashi is concerned, honestly, this was a this was a bit of a sad one for me to watch because yeah. Tanahashi was really struggling with some of these spots. Like at one point, they do like the typical catapult into the corner, and it was so tough on Tanahashi's knees to do a catapult spot, and it it, it was that it was definitely a bit sad. Uh, throughout the tournament, I do think Tanahashi's been fine. Like he's he hasn't had any bad matches, I don't think, nor anything to his standards of greatness either. Just kind of a lot of mid tier performances, which which mm-hmm. is okay. He's here because he's still one of the three most popular guys in the entire company, and they still desperately need him on these cards to fill seats. But I, I did think this one was a. Uh, this wasn't an enjoyable match for me. I was just kind of sad throughout. So uh. fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, this was a Yano match through and through. Of course, I will say that it was one that I think demanded a little bit more physicality, or at least ended up with a little bit more physicality from Tana than was maybe necessary. You know, like yeah. you compare, you compare like you know a, a lot of the previous matches where it's like, okay, let's just you know get down here and grapple a little bit, brother, and just sort of you know, obviously everybody is working to protect him throughout this tournament and keep him from exposing himself. But no, they were actually like, you know, he was running the ropes. Like you said, he was doing the slingshot spot. And it was sort of like, do we need to be doing this? Or is this actually necessary? I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, you know, a little bit over a two-star Akintosh. And uh, for me, you know, a bit more physical than the average Yano match is. But obviously not up to the standard or the snuff uh, that we expect for uh, for Tanahashi either. Up next then, okay, the one that I certainly had circled heading into this card, uh, and even beforehand when, you know, the, the schedule of who would be reviewing which G1 shows was announced, when I saw this one, boom, I thought, yeah, okay, I'm excited that I've got this one on here, because we are looking at a still winless Tomohiro Ishii, zero wins and three losses, taking on the Mad King, Eddie Kingston, who comes into this match with two wins and one loss. 
This is the third singles match between these two. However, it is the first in Japan. You know, we were just sort of saying at the beginning of the last match, oh, you know, Tana might have been trying to remind Yano that, oh, yeah, you know, this is the G1. But this is the match where that this really applies. You know, we've had some decent matches uh, off the first half of this card here. Some comedy, a lot of heel shtick and everything. But by God, this is the G1 Climax. And you gotta hope that these two are going to lean into it and that this match will deliver. Let's find out. So before they even lock out, Kingston is showing off the damage that he's taken, not just from this tournament, but with uh, his battles with the Blackpool Combat Club back in North America before the tournament even started. He's stretching out his back and his injured elbow, and we get our first test of strength, if I'm not mistaken, in the whole tournament with the two of them knuckling up. Uh, there are a lot of Irish whip reversals, then a chop exchange immediately you're calling. Their first singles meeting at the all-out zero hour, though this exchange does not go quite as long as that one, uh, with Ishii hitting a shoulder tackle and then kicking away at Kingston's back. Ishii hits a side suplex as some of the crowd's beginning, getting behind the very wounded Kingston. Kingston hits a knee to the neck from the second rope. That looked pretty cool. And an exploder. There's another much longer chop exchange. Uh, Eddie drops the straps down in order to get give Ishii some better noise out of his chest. Uh, Kingston is looking frustrated that he's not giving as good as he is getting. Hitting Ishii with these chops from the uh, injured elbow, but then being uh, hit back in return. But eventually he does get Ishii to stagger and ultimately drop. Kingston gets a half Nelson suplex and a sliding elbow for two at the 10 minute mark. Ishii counters an Urican attempt with a clubbing forearm and follows up with two Germans. As you can see how red and abraded Ishii's chest is getting Ugh, gross, but also wonderful at the same time. Ishi, uh, Eddie rather dodges a sliding lariat and hits a standing lariat of his own and a backdrop suplex for two. And he keeps the Kawada tribute going with a stretch plum, which he ultimately turns into a lateral press, which Ishii barely gets a shoulder up from. Ishii ducks an Uriken and hits Eddie with a diving headbutt for two as we are getting into the closing stretch and the crowd is really starting to get into this hard-hitting affair. Ishii hits an Inziguri, goes for a sliding lariat, but uh, Kingston counters that with an Inziguri of his own. Ishii hits a running lariat, but Kingston pops up at one. Ishii gets another running lariat, this time for two. Kingston fights out of a brain buster attempt, hits a pair of Urikens the way that he beat Hanare, but no, Ishii still kicks out at two, and we're now at the 15-minute mark. Ishii then hits, I don't even know what to call this, a one-need version of a code breaker or something like that is about as close as I can describe this kind of running tackle takedown uh, that he gives to Kingston. Then follows that up with a sliding lariat for two, lifts Kingston up for the vertical drop brain buster, which gets a big cheer from the crowd as the stone pitbull covers the Mad King for the one, two, three at 16 minutes and 15 seconds with the commentary noting that we will likely be looking at a stateside rematch in defense of Kingston's strong open weight title something soon thoughts about this match Eric and whether or not it possibly knocked out Shingo and Hanare for you as your match of the tournament thus far this was definitely my match of the show and I thought of Eddie and Ishii's three matches to this point I, I thought this was by far the best of the bunch it, it didn't knock out Shingo and Hanare as my match of the tournaments, but it is firmly uh, positioned in my top five. I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, a classic Tomohiro Ishii match, and I, I think Eddie Kingston was having a hell of a time throughout this oh, entire yeah. thing. Yeah, no, this was this was exactly what you'd hoped 
it would be when the blocks are announced. Um, like yourself, I, I do think that it was the best of the three singles matches uh, that we've had. And at least for me, it did eclipse. Uh, I also, too, had Shingo Hanare uh, as my favorite match of the tournament thus far. And yeah, just, you know, the extra character stuff that Kingston is able to bring, the extra selling, just lending a little bit of extra pathos, um, you know, just, just puts it over the edge for me. Um, I, I don't know that I can necessarily go for my full, like, you know, five-star Port Ellen rating on this, but man, there was just so, so, so much to love here. Um, a couple of years ago, when I was doing uh, written coverage of the G1, I did a little bit of very nerdy, deep, I won't bore you with the details, kind of content analysis of the ratings of Ishii's G1 matches and found that, okay, fine, maybe in 2021, 2022, we are starting to see a point where Ishii is maybe not quite able to turn in the sort of night after night after night performance that he was, say, in the 2018 G1, where he was picking up a lot of the slack for the for uh, Red Balloon Okada there. Um, but when he's in there with the right opponent, my God, does Ishii still stand up and deliver. Um, for Kingston's own part, uh, I thought that this match here, and, and again, for, forgive me for waxing a bit philosophical here, Eric, but... Kingston's performance here epitomized that wonderful quote that we got from Minoru Suzuki a couple of years ago about how wrestlers like John Moxley and Zack Sabre are great because there are things they cannot do, because there are obvious deficiencies in their game. And as a result, they stand out more. They are more compelling pro wrestlers as a result of that. And that's very much the case with Eddie Kingston. He doesn't have the cardio. He doesn't have the natural athleticism. And in a match like this, those things are strengths because they underline how grueling an endurance contest like this is, even when it's, quote, only going 16 minutes long. I mean, I can think of all manner of Gene One main events that went, you know, 25, 27 matches or minutes, rather, that had a fraction of the drama and intensity of this. And in part, that's because Kingston knows I don't have 30 minutes in me, right? I've got 20 minutes to try to chop the stone pit bull down. And if I don't, Ishii is going to outlast me and kill me with a brain buster, uh, which is ultimately what ends up happening here. So yeah, great stuff. Uh, very healthy glass of four-star Glenfarclas 17 in a boisterous, rowdy New York bar with whatever sorts of snacks on the side uh, that you might want. And at least as of right now, uh, my new pick for my personal uh, match of the tournament. I will give this a Tenru Okada, Black Trunks, Grumpy, Old Man Okada on the Okada scale. I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Eddie's best match of, you know what? This is on the high end of Eddie Kingston matches I can remember. And that mm -hmm. is high praise because I quite enjoy Eddie Kingston. For Tomohiro Ishii, another night at the office. This man, <laughs> this man is incredible. What can I say? It's, it's <laughs> wonderful that we sort of say that, right? We just take... <laughs> So often, you know, on these reviews, I find myself sort of saying, yeah, I know exactly what I expected out of Ishii. And I, I do worry that we are, you know, that we do sort of take uh, everything that he does for granted. I mean, obviously, there are individual moments that I think, you know, we can always remember, you know, the biting the ropes with Omega and things like that. But just the day in, day out quality that this guy ensures, uh, you know, he's bringing, right? Like, again, to kind of go back to the point that, like, look, New Japan is a live gate business, Right. You know, again, you know, the average person who's going to a New Japan show might not be watching 20 or 25 Tomohiro Ishii singles matches in a year the way you and I are, uh, you know, and those people make sure that they get their money's worth uh, for that one time that they see him every year. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast... 
Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, we move over to a match that did not really stand out to me, uh, at least when I was looking at it on paper, and maybe didn't for the first few minutes of it, uh, in a contest between Shane Haste and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, so before the bell, Naito asks for a hat exchange, a la, you know, the sort of jersey or scarf exchanges that you will see in football. Uh, so Naito is flipping between uh, his LIJ cap and Haste's orange top hat before ultimately tossing the latter into the crowd. Uh, so a very shtick-heavy G1 for Naito continues, at least for now haste drops naito with a drop kick and wears naito's lij cap for a minute before tossing that into the crowd uh naito takes haste to the floor and hits a neck breaker on the guardrail and keeps wrenching at the neck even after shane haste makes it back inside and this would sort of go on to be the thread of this match this early injury or early damage given to haste's neck uh haste eventually begins to turn the tide with a drop kick a reverse power slam and a falcon arrow for two naito counters that with an arm drag and then a drop kick and some elbows to the neck and then an esperanza which keeps the pressure on the neck haste holds naito off with a side suplex both men trade forearms to the neck naito spits in haste's face before hitting a tornado ddt haste counters that by striking away at naito's leg and goes for his bomb valley death uh, which is his fireman's uh, choke slam or a choke slam out of fireman's carry. Naito reverses that into a partial destino, but a lariat from haste lays both men out at two. Um, Naito keeps working the neck. Haste goes for another Bomb Valley death, but Naito counters that into a Destino, and I will say a much better looking Destino than the one he got on Goto a few days ago. But Haste kicks out of a very clean Destino at two, in a very shocking kick out for me at least. Naito then goes for another Destino, but as he's going out up, Haste transitions Naito into the fireman's carry position, allowing him to hit that very rarely seen Bomb Valley death finisher and pin Tetsuya Naito at 13 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, I don't know about you, Eric. Like I said, was not really looking forward to this one. Did not think too much of it. And the beginning of it wasn't really doing too much more for me. But the last few minutes of this, I thought, got really interesting. I will go as far as to say this was my second favorite match of the night. Mm. I thought Naito went all in on making Shane Haste right here. He... He tried. He was trying to heal it up from the beginning to the end, and as much as he may try to play the bad guy, the crowd will never turn on him at this point. He is by far the most popular person in this company, so that's never happening. But he did succeed in getting the crowd behind Shane Haste, who went from a guy who was getting really no reactions in any of his matches to this point mm-hmm. to a, an incredibly over babyface who was very sympathetic against the dickhead Naito doing his whole thing. <laughs> so uh, I really enjoyed this match. I thought this was... Well, the biggest match of Shane Haste's career to this mm. point, really. And a uh, solid effort from Tetsuya Naito, who's uh, been a bit all over the place so far in the G1 this year. I really liked this match against Jeff Cobb, but uh, the Goto match and the Yano match weren't standouts. This is back to form for Naito, who, who mm. was one of the standouts in the G1 last year. So I know he still has it in him. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, his, his especially, you know, in, in the finals and everything like that, or the quarter or the semifinals of the G1 last year, you know, when when the time comes, he does still have one or two matches a year in him. Yeah, uh, the first half of this one was just very kind of, okay, we're getting like laconic, tranquilo, 
Shticky Naito and everything uh, to the point that I was almost asking myself, like, is is Tanahashi actually going to like outwork and outbump Naito on this <laughs> night? But no, no, no. Towards the end, uh, things really began to pay off. So I'll go with a, a slightly large, uh, you know, pour of three-star Highland Park, but maybe one that takes a few minutes to aerate and bloom. You know, sometimes certain whiskeys, you got to let them sit in the glass for a few minutes, you know, before they really come into their own. Uh, and that's what this was for me. All right, so in our semi-final, it's a renewal of hostilities between Tamatonga and an undefeated David Finley, uh, a feud that was fought over the never-open-weight uh, uh, title uh, and built to a very, very one-sided uh, demolishing and stretcher-chopping uh, of Tamatonga, which took him out of New Japan for several months. Um, because of that, uh, Tama jumps Finley the second. He walks through the curtain and the bell rings before either man has made it into the ring. In a continuation of a trend in this year's G1, which has certainly bothered Karen and I to no end. Uh, before we get into the match itself, Eric, where do you sort of stand right now in terms of all things New Japan refing, kayfabe rules, the beginnings of you know when these matches do begin and whatnot? general bullet club shtick and antics how does something like this strike you as somebody who you know with an mma background you know appreciates (laughs) the sports like presentation of new japan uh no i definitely hate it i hate all the run-ins like it's really taken away from a lot of the the war dogs matches for me not so much david finley who actually keeps it fairly clean throughout most of his matches but and you know what? I will say in this exception with the babyface being the guy to go on the attack at the beginning, it does play off their brutal last match. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily have a problem with it here. But the overall theme of it throughout the G1 and its overuse has been a bit rough. And it's taken away from what would otherwise be like the guy I'm particularly referring to here is Gabriel Kidd. Yeah. And Gabe Kidd, he is a very talented wrestler. He has a lot going for him. But right now, I think the whole attacking everyone before the matches, flipping off the crowd every six seconds thing, he, he's really overdoing it. And it's taking away yeah. from his matches for me personally. Yeah. And I think that in a case like this, where there actually is like legit blood feud reasons for a face like Tama to just charge right after Finley before the match even gets started or before Finley makes it into the ring. Because we've seen Gabe Kidd do that in every single match, because we've seen Coughlin, you know, throw a bunch of of muck and plunder around beforehand, it kind of takes the shine off of it when it is actually earned and deserved, as it is in this case. It's not, you know, necessarily, it's certainly not Tamatanga's fault that that spot has been played up there, but it doesn't necessarily have the impact that it might have if we hadn't seen this happen once or twice already on this one, uh, one card alone. Okay, so anyway, we like I said, the bell rings with both men uh, on the floor and we brawl into the crowd. Uh, Tama feigns going into the ring but runs back into the crowd to beat Finley down some more. Uh, Tama goes to suplex Finley off the stage but is shoved off it by Finley, who then goes after Tama's knee with a chair and keeps wrenching it both in and out of the ring. Uh, Tama gets some breathing room with a drop kick at the five-minute call and begins to fire up with a lariat and a splash in the corner for two. Uh, Finley reverses a tongued twist uh, with the Irish curse back backbreaker for two lots of quick reversals and strikes going here as we're working at a very frenetic pace tama gets the src but the injury to the knee slows his approach to climb up the to the top for the supreme flow follow-up giving finley just enough time to get his knees up storytelling philly manages to toss tama into the ropes and snap his knee in the process which sets up a deep sharpshooter while kelly notes that jay white himself just used that same targeted knee rope toss against ftr and 
good freaking call on Kevin Kelly because I certainly watched that match, but I did not notice that little wink and a nod there that we are getting across the Pacific, uh, you know, to different Bullet Club factions. Uh, Tama tosses White outside, hits a tope, and is now able to hit the Supreme Flow back inside. Uh, Gunstun into Oblivion and the DST slash J Driller. All of those finishers are countered by each uh, opponent. Finley gets a Blue Thunder Bomb for two and a Dominator for two. There's a bunch of mid ring striking from both guys. Finley hits a spear and goes for a power bomb, but Tama reverses it and barely keeps the Rebel down for three in a roll up at 14 minutes and 22 seconds. Finley immediately beats Tama down seconds after the bell, finally hits that power bump that he went for a couple of times during the actual match, and has Gato hold him up for a strike with the shillelagh. Thoughts about a match that I thought jammed a hell of a lot in to less than 15 minutes, Eric? Uh, I enjoyed this far more than I enjoyed their last match, which, uh, of course, in a sense, was a bit of an angle because it was the whole thing was it was this huge beatdown of Tama Tonga that was going to take him out for months. But the thing was... The match sucked and dragged on for fucking ever. So it was brutal to sit through. This was the exact opposite. A really high pace between the two. Um, I, I liked the match. Uh, at the end, I'm not sure Like the beatdown at the end was necessary. It kind of I thought it took away from Tamatonga's win, which uh, I get that they're trying to keep David Finley strong. But the, the thing is, it makes it feel like this win occurred more just to make the math at the end of the tournament work, right. or to add suspense more than it was done for the booking purpose of giving Tamatonga a big baby face moment. So I was a bit disappointed in that, but it's kind of par for the course of this bullet club stuff. Uh, I, I give this a, a rainmaker Okada on the illustrious Okada scale. It, it's on the, it's on the high end. Like I said, I really like the pace. I thought this was a good follow-up to their story mm-hmm. throughout the year, but it didn't quite hit that next level for me either. I think I might be a little bit higher uh, on this one than you. I mean, I take your point uh, about the uh, the beatdown, you know, needing to kind of keep Finley strong and everything. And I certainly think, you know, like we just saw with the Shane Hayes match, right? There's going to be some matches where, you know, there is a little bit of an upset, uh, you know, just to make sure that the math all works out when we shake things out at the end of the tournament. I mean, if nothing else, you know, this, uh, you know, like the um, like the Goto defeat earlier on, maybe we're looking at a revival of the uh, of, a, of Tama getting a shot at the Never title, um, you know, possibly stateside uh, in the, the medium to near future. You know, the kind of the question of, is Finley going to be positioned for another at least shot at the title, you know, sometime, you know, maybe not in the immediate, um, you know, time between now and Wrestle Kingdom. But obviously, you just look at how much screen time the Bullet Club is getting. And, you know, the fact that even though nothing was really answered a couple of nights ago, obviously, you know, Finley's rule over uh, even, you know, the House of Torture seems to at least nominally still be in place there. So there's obviously a real interest in keeping Finley strong and possibly, right, they might be wanting to move him back firmly into uh, that main event scene and 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 the, the main heavyweight title picture. So, you know, possibly getting the Never title back onto Tama might be something that we're looking forward to here. Um, in terms of the match itself, um, you know, given how kind of long this feud had gone and that, like you said, the, the point about the previous match, I wasn't really looking forward to this, but I thought it really delivered. It was fast. It was mean. It was intense. It had like really, you know, just clean, clear and logical work with the knee. Like, I, I hope I didn't sound sarcastic when I was saying storytelling there. I meant that legitimately. Like, that's exactly the sort of thing that, you know, you need to do if you want to set up the fact that Finley is going to be able to get the knees up to block um, to, to, to block the, the, the Supreme flow there, you know, and I just thought that like both guys really busted their asses and 
who just worked, you know, to get as much time uh, as they could in there. So I am giving this just barely, this just barely scratches uh, my four-star Glenn Farkless 17 territory. All right, that brings us to our main event. And again, if we're talking about a bit of a blood feud before, maybe not a blood feud in this case, but a contest or or a feud that has had a number of very exciting and hard-fought matches just this year alone with Jeff Cobb, the undefeated 3-0 contender, taking on the television title champion, Zack Sabre Jr., also undefeated. Something has to break unless we go to a time limit draw, which has happened in at least one of these men's matches uh, in the past year. Um, Cobb is out first, but Zack is in full, like, baby kissing rock star baby face mode he's striding through the crowd fist bumping people high-fiving everyone uh charlton notes that zach is a true socialist a man of the people uh whereas kevin kelly repeats the old cliche that ah he'll become a capitalist by 40 to which i would say hey look at the gray in Keir starmer's hair or closer to us in canada in jagmeet singh's beard but anyway Let's not get politics into this. Let's get into the third contest this year between the two undefeated men in the D block. So these two lock up and trade hip tosses and leg scissors. Lots of nice chain wrist work to start, uh, which the crowd certainly appreciates, including Cobb cartwheeling out of a wrist lock. Zach makes the mistake of trying to shoulder tackle Cobb not once, not twice, but thrice, which ends with Cobb leapfrogging and hitting a flying shoulder tackle to the smaller man. Cobb presses the advantage outside with strength, with strikes and guardrail crashes. So no, not even this theoretically technical and amateur focus match can escape the gravitational pull of the guardrail in the G1. Zach applies a flying guillotine, but Cobb immediately belly, belly to belly to belly suplexes him away. Cobb keeps control back in the ring. Zach once again tries to tackle Cobb to no avail, but dodges a spear and gets a tornado DDT to catch his breath for a moment. Cobb drops to his back, uh, or excuse me, uh, he sticks and moves a bit with his strikes, turns a spin cycle attempt into a sleeper. Uh, Cobb drops to his back, but Zach holds on to go for the armbar, which Zach has been using a lot in this tournament, with the idea being that even just a basic armbar, once it's properly applied by a technician like Zach Sabre, is going to net and immediate submission. Um, but Cobb is quickly at the ropes to break the arm bar at the 10 minute mark. Uh, Zach gets another flying guillotine, but Cobb once again, suplexes out of it this time with a vertical. Zach tries to lariat Cobb down, which Cobb is absolutely having none of. Uh, Cobb tries to pull Zach out of the corner into a spin cycle, but drops Zach and they sort of have to redo the spot in the middle of the ring. Zach counters the tour of the islands attempt with a crucifix roll up, which he, uh, with which he beat Cobb at dominion and follows up with some manner of wacky submission. I'm not sure if this one has a name, if not, who's to say, uh, but Cobb is once again at the ropes. There's a quick set of clutch and roll up reversals to get, uh, two counts for each man. As we hit the 15 minute mark, both men talk trash at one another from the corners, trade German suplexes. Zach hits a penalty kip, but Cobb then hits his F5000, that extra spin and extra rotation version of the F5 to set up a tour of the islands and hand Zach his first defeat and stand alone with eight points atop the D block. Thoughts about uh, the, I guess, now third match that we've had from these two in just the last few months, Eric. Um, I thought it was a good match. Their styles clash in an interesting way. Of course, Zach's technical style. It's always fun to see people work that. Well, at the same time, uh, Jeff Cobb is an absolute freak who can just do incredible feats of strength on the regular. Uh, they got a bit ambitious at times. And as a result, I thought, especially in, I'll say, the last five minutes of the match, there were a lot of miscues, which unfortunately dampered my enjoyment of it somewhat. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I thought they recovered from everything pretty well. And I did enjoy this match. 
yeah, um, I, you know, the fact that uh, building upon the previous matches that they'd had, um, I liked the fact that at least part of the story here for me that I was was taking from this was that after having beaten uh, Cobb the previous time, you had Zach being a little bit cockier going into this match, starting with the crowd work that I was talking about, the peacocking there, and then sort of deciding to like challenge Cobb head on with a lot of these like you know lariat or like suplex attempts and strike exchanges and whatnot. Obviously, which he's going to lose to the bigger man, um, you know, rather than as he did when he won, you know, very much picking his spots, going in for submissions, kind of you know dodging and weaving and trying to evade uh, the bigger strikes. And, you know, he loses as a result of it. Um, I think across those three matches, we've seen really good chemistry from both. And yeah, fine. You know, we, we got a little bit crossed up with the spin cycle spot. Um, but apart from that, I thought everything else here, you know, vegan buttery spread smooth, uh, you know, good proper four plus star glass of Glenn Farkless 17 for me with maybe a little bit of Hawaiian macadamia nuts uh, on the side. Um so after the match, uh, in Japanese, Cobb then says he needs a minute to catch his breath in the Tokyo heat, but that the G1 is even hotter than the Tokyo heat, and he thanks Koriku and Hall. Uh, the crowd is very appreciative uh, of his speaking Japanese to them in the post-match. Uh, backstage, Cobb uh, sings some Bob Marley and then says that the G1 is his redemption story. Congratulates Zach on a good fight. Does a bit of a dolphin impression in anticipation <laughs> of his match with Yano. Oh, in the dolphin wow. I, I can't believe I missed this. I, I forgot to check out the interviews this time, and I'm really regretting it now. I'm not. I'm not even <laughs> going to attempt to do the little kick, 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 kick thing that, that that Cobb did here, but he did it twice. Um, says that he is ready uh, for Yano's shenanigans after he used them uh, to beat Cobb in last year's G1. He laments the fact that the G1 schedule meant that the New Japan roster had to miss the Sapporo Beer Festival, but he has he will have some Sapporos on ice tonight oh my goodness so there we have it um in terms of overall match recommendations we might be looking at things a little bit differently here eric i'm not sure i think we're very much in agreement that ishi and kingston is by far and away our match of the night like i said it's yep. my match of the tournament so far <laughs> so really really large recommendation on that one uh i'm wanting to sort of throw recommendations on both uh tama and finley and our main event with zach and Cobb. but are you kind of maybe maybe different in that regard Naito and Haste was definitely my second favorite match of the mm -hmm. night. Uh, I'd probably go there for Cobb and Zach as well. Finley versus Tamatanga wasn't quite there for me. I thought there was just a bit too much going on in that one, but I did enjoy the last like four matches. Like th this mm -hmm. was very much the tale of a show split in half for me because the first four matches really did not do it for me. Yeah, and yeah. the last four really did. I, I enjoyed the last half of the show quite a bit. Yeah, it really did pick up on the last half. There wasn't anything especially egregious, I don't think, in the first half. Like I no. said, even the evil match was a bit better yeah. than your average uh, e evil match is there. So I guess we're kind of going with, you know, like I said, uh, Ishin Kingston and Zach and Cobb as our shared agreements, and then individual recommendations, perhaps, uh, for Tama and Finley and Naito and Haste. Okay, so all of that being said, we are now just more than halfway through uh, our G1 competition, or at least the regular block G1 competition. So let's take a look at some standings and see what's going on here. Um, in the C block, I believe... If I'm doing my math correctly here, uh, Tama Tonga is your block leader right now because he holds the tiebreaker over Finley, who holds a tiebreaker over 
evil, if I'm reading this correctly. Um, behind that, uh, those three men tied at six, you've got Shingo Takagi and Eddie Kingston with four points. Uh, Mikey Nichols, Hanare, and Tomohiro Ishii all on the board with two points apiece. In the D block, after defeating Zach in the main event, Cobb stands alone atop the D block with eight points. Uh, Saber right behind him with six points. Bit of a long jam with Tanahashi, Goto, Naito, and Haste all with four points. Alex Coglin on the board for the first time today with two points. And like we said before, uh, the Sublime Master Thief unfortunately eliminated. Not going to be able to make a go of it this year uh, as Yano is out with zero points. Of course. There's the G1 standings, but we all know what you're really here for. It's the G1 contest standings over at Post Wrestling. Let's move over to there. Before we get into the actual uh, standings of the contest itself, uh, let's take a look at the uh, kind of, you know, the the odds or the the favorites and the upsets, uh, as would have been tabulated by the fantastic Chris Engler on today's card. Um, You've got 87% of people correctly guessing that Shingo Takagi would beat Mikey Nichols. Uh, 71% of people correctly guessing that Evil would be able uh, to use his chicanery to go over Hanare. Uh, Tanahashi might be old, but he's still uh, our favorite to beat Yano by a two-thirds margin. Deadlock, 50-50%. A bit of a coin flip here between Goto and Coglin, who ultimately takes it. Then we get into some upsets. Not much of an upset here with 49% of people guessing that Tonga would get a win back over Finley. 44% of people going with Jeff Cobb. 43% going with Tomohiro Ishii to go over Kingston. And a massive, massive not quite block breaking, but a pretty big upset here with basically only one in 20 people giving Shane Haste a chance at defeating Tetsuya Naito. So man, if you picked that, you know, you had a chance at, uh, at getting the, the perfect club. Uh, but otherwise I don't know uh, how many, how many uh, uh, people we will have in the perfect club today. Uh, but let's scroll back up here. We've already done the actual standings. Yeah, here we go. The the top listener contest standings once again, and now even pulling ahead of everybody. It's still Jeremy Firestone in first place with 48 points, a three point lead over second place. Uh, That's Eric from Cork. Uh, So congratulations, Jeremy, on on holding it down thus far. We'll see how the second half of the tournament goes for you. Uh, We've got a big log jam in third place with B from NY, DS1972, Jake D, Mark Butler, Optimus Maximus, and Tom H, all doing very well for themselves with 44 points. And then at least three people, Anthony C, Jimmy L, and Nick XXT. Sorry, I know I've tripped up on that one before. I apologize. Uh, All with 43 points points moving over to everybody's favorite the post family uh g uh contest standings lowdown davy p davy portman himself still up at the front uh only scored four points today so things are maybe tightening a bit but he still at least holds a two-point lead over brandon thurston and brandon from new jersey the the the, the brandon dyad there locked in in second place uh at 39 uh myself yourself eric john kleinchester all following up with 38 points uh let's see how did we do we each got five right today We're so i'll take this. i'll take that you know nobody actually yeah it looks like nobody in the post um in the post family got a um got any higher than five points today so i'm I'm perfectly happy with that result um oh, i'm guessing that this means sorry i didn't even check this before but i have to assume that we are not seeing yeah i'm guessing absolutely nobody got a perfect eight today uh with the um 
with the big uh, Shane Haste upset there. So sorry, I apologize for not doing that earlier. Um, moving on down the line, we've got Brad Comping, Bruiser Brady, Braden Harrington himself, uh, and John Ceno all at 37. Neil Flanagan at 36. John Pollock and John Pine. Again, the, the, the Brandons and the Johns stuck together here. They've got 35 points. WH tied with Randobot at 30 as long with waiting. So we've got a three-way race for the bottom uh, as WH continues to try to put over this whole like, no, 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 you got to be right at the bottom sort of thing as he tries to save face uh, as his picks continue to not show up for him at all. So obviously uh, the rest of the crew will be keeping you posted throughout the remainder uh, of this G1. Uh, tomorrow, it will be John and Way to walk you through uh, A and B block action from the Oda City Gym in Tokyo. Let me, I should not have closed that window because that was the window that had uh, <laughs> my actual uh, listings of the, there it is. Here we go. Sorry. I apologize, everybody. Oh, this is terrible audio. <laughs> Apologies, Don't worry, it happens as, to us all on occasion. As I pull up uh, the A and B block action that John and Wei will be covering tomorrow, you've got Shota Imuno taking on Chase Owens, Yoshihashi taking on Tai Chi, Kaito Kiyomiya versus Gabe Kidd, Tonga Loa versus Great Okan, uh, Hikuleo versus Yotasuji, El Fantasmo versus Kenta, uh, Sonata versus Ren Narita, and then in your main event, Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. If you've been saying to yourself up until this point, oh man, none of those matches, nothing is really lighting my world on fire. Well, bang, there you go. Arguably uh, the most hotly anticipated match of the tournament coming to you tomorrow from the Oda City Gymnasium. I have a feeling by this time tomorrow, we're going to all have a collective new match of the tournament. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, what What can we say about the run that Osprey is on? Uh, and to your point earlier about, you know, kind of reminding us of the wonderness, wonderfulness of, you know, Tenryu-styled dickhead Okada. There's a real chance here, I think, for a real excellent babyface performance that gets the crowd uh, on his side as Osprey continues to look down his nose dismissively at him. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You you tell me, is this is this the moment? I mean, is this the right for, form or venue for Okada to finally be defeated cleanly by Osprey? No, I, th- I think this would be a huge waste because I feel like the end of this current like three year Will Osprey character arc saga is him beating Kazuchika Okada clean. And for mm-hmm. him to do that in like a 20 minute G1 match, it doesn't feel quite right. But I feel like it is probably time for him to not lose. It's It's time for him to go the distance at the very least. And I can't I, remember if I I, I should I I, don't, I really was not thinking about the tie thing enough when I was doing my contest entry, but this is absolutely one that I think is going to a tie right now. Uh, so do I. Uh, it it would be uh, pretty shocking for me if Will Osprey won this. In fact, in his like post match interview just a couple nights ago, he kind of says, "I truly think I can beat Okada, but I don't think I can do it in twenty minutes," which kind of mm-hmm. tells you he's not going to get the win. I don't see Okada beating him in less than 20 minutes. It's possible, but I I do think this one's probably going to go to a draw. Yep, 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 yep. I think that's the smart money. But one way or the other, should be a hell of a show. And re- like I said, regardless of whether we had uh, Hanari and Shingo or Kingston and Ishii picked up, either of your top picks or whatever your top for the tournament uh, has been thus far, dear listener, might have some very strong competition for it uh, coming tomorrow. And like I said, John and Wei will have that covered for you sometime tomorrow. So 
that does it for myself and Eric Marcotte. Like I said, that does it for me for the actual tournament coverage. I'm taking off for vacation uh, for a couple of weeks, but I very much look forward uh, to keeping track of all things uh, G1 related uh, that yourself, Eric, Karen, WH, and John and Way will be covering in the days to come. Uh, any other last comments or things you'd care to plug before we take off here? No, I have nothing to plug, nothing to say. I think we went through absolutely everything today, Bruce. (laughs) All right. It's been a treat to finally get to do one of these shows with you, Eric. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Take care.